Welcome back, folks. Another exciting episode of the show today. Zooming in from lovely Springwater, Ontario. We've got Brandy Mullen. Brandy is a very experienced real estate entrepreneur. She focuses on a, focuses on a strategy that is near and dear to my heart, and that is lease options, rent home deals. Brandy, I'm pretty sure you've done a heck of a lot more of them by now than I did in my day, but I did a couple of years of, of rent to own. Great experience. And Brandy's also seen the, seen the ups and the downs of working with private investors and their capital. So Brandy, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Dave, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Well, that makes two of us. So let's Woo-hoo! jump right in. All right. Brandy, what, why don't you give people a snapshot of what does your portfolio look like? What does your real estate investing business look like right now at the beginning of 2023? Our portfolio is probably 75% lease options or rent to own. Yeah. And we have some long-term holds, a couple of those, as well as some short-term rental serviced accommodations. Okay. So you got some mm-hmm. like Airbnb type properties sprinkled in there and and long-term student rental, yeah, a, Airbnb, a couple nice. long-terms, but mostly rent-owned. Mostly rent-owned. All right, perfect. And what market area do you focus in when it comes to, well, all of your deals? We started close to home, close to Springwater, Ontario, because that felt safe and that yeah. helped us with uh, self-managing. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit and we were at home, even if the house was around the corner, and I said, well, why don't we do this Canada-wide? So our rent-to-own is Canada-wide. Wow. Yes. A couple <laughs> properties. Quite a few. We have not seen more properties than we have seen when we were buying them. And we have short-term rentals in two provinces now. So again, a little bit braver when we were stuck in our house and said, okay, everybody is doing this from their laptop. We can do this too. Nice. And we... And that helped me with control because I had a little bit of issue around control. Yeah. Uh, my am I am me, I hearing the? Is that also known as AKA? I'm a control freak. Is that what I'm hearing, Brandy? Oh, yep. you are hearing it loud and clear. <laughs> and when my husband hears this, he will be laughing because uh, he obviously lives with it. <laughs> and um, so, so I did have an exercise in in learning how to let go of control. And now we are still somewhat self-managing our short-term rentals, but doing that from afar. So really- Well, I, I wonder, is, is it really a matter of letting go of control or changing how you control things? So instead of not, not necessarily having less control, but just, you know, if you've got outside management helping you out, it's keeping tabs on them instead of every single little detail with a particular property. Would that be- That would be accurate? fair to say. And I kind of feel like I have to go back to my counselor now and have a discussion after you just said that. (laughs) Am I really letting go of control? No, changing control. I like that. Yeah. No, delegating delegating control, but still, you know, managing the managers as they say, correct? Absolutely. Because of course you don't want to let go of control of your business. You want control of your business. But I tell you what, uh, I've learned this and forgotten this and relearned this and forgotten this a few times. It's, it's like in order to grow, in order to scale, there's only so much you can do on your own. Right. So when we're busy controlling everything and micromanaging everything mm-hmm. ourselves, that means we only have so much attention. We can only do so much. And then very quickly we're overwhelmed. So when you're able to create those systems and 
delegations and processes, as you guys have seen, you're right, you're able to expand nationwide. So hats off to you. And hats off to the pandemic for forcing that on you maybe a little faster than otherwise. Yeah, I think there was definitely some gifts in that that time that we had in that lockdown that we had, if you if you can see them, and we took advantage of as much of that as we could. Well, let's take a little dive into your current portfolio, especially on the rent-to-own side, the lease option side, and and see what that looks like. First of all, I'd like to explore how you structure, what what kind of rent-to-owns you do, because in in my estimation, there's like three kinds I'm aware of. One is the sandwich lease creative type rent-to-own deal, which I did a couple of those way back in the day where basically you you lease somebody's property with the option to purchase and then you sublet it with the option to sell it to that end buyer kind of thing. So that's the creative low money, no money down type, type way. Then there's a very common way, which is sometimes landlords find themselves with a not so ideal property and they can't make it cash flow traditionally. So they turn it into a rent to own and bring in a tenant buyer kind of after the fact to boost up their cash flow. And then there's the third way, which is what I used to do back in the day, which is tenant first, where you find a tenant buyer, make sure they're, you know, relatively close to getting qualified for financing. It can make that happen in a few years at least. And then go house shopping for them, find them a home that fits their budget, fits our parameters and buy it for them and lease option it to them over time. So which of those, if any, are you, are you guys doing? We are people first with yeah. our product. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I used to call yeah. it tenant first, or actually I call it client first rent own. I like people first rent own. That sounds even better. Nice. Mm-hmm. Smart. Okay. So you're doing this. You started with this around your lovely town in Ontario. You've spread throughout the the pandemic. So question number one comes to mind is, how are you generating and processing tenant buyer leads across Canada? Because when I was fooling around with this in Kamloops, which at the time had a population of about 80,000 people, I was getting tons and tons and tons of applications. It was quite a process to just filter through all that. I can't even fathom trying to do that with a much broader net like like you guys might be doing. So what are you doing to generate those tenant buyer leads? So I'll tell you that we knew we had a problem when we had a press release in the Sudbury News and we had 150 applicants in one day and we did not have a system. Okay, yeah, that beats any story (laughs) I had. That's for sure. Wow. Luckily, we had a mentor coming over. Uh, We had finally hired a mentor and uh, he was coming to our house. And he looked at, I had post-it notes all over our dining room, trying to keep track of it. I had papers everywhere, file folders. We had stuff on the computer and my husband and I were completely inundated. Frazzled, I can only imagine. Frazzled, oh yes. So that was a lesson in in processes and how we were going to keep track of everyone. And I said, okay, we need a customer relationship management system. Yeah, CRM. Yes. And so that's, so I found somebody to build that for me. Actually, my best friend from public school said, I can build that for you. And I said, how much money I'm going to send it to you now, please. Yeah. Begging. We need something. So that has really saved us time. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And we have been able to hire, we actually hire co-op students once in a while, and we can show them, it really doesn't take a lot of training to be able to show them um, how to use the system to do the first couple of steps of our, our process as well. The, the first couple of steps of the filtering process. Of the filtering well. process, yes. Oh yeah, well that's smart. So co-op students, really smart. I guess you could also get a virtual assistant trained yeah. up on how to do that fairly fairly straightforwardly. because. I don't know what your numbers are, Brandy, but if my memory serves me correctly, uh, out of the total number of applications I would get, like maybe maybe 10 or 15% were actual folks that I could possibly work with. I wouldn't, there's no way I would work with that many of them, but what do your numbers look like out of a hundred applications that comes in? How many of them can realistically you do a deal with? I would say that our numbers look the same as that, but 10 to 15% of them, you'd think, Ooh, they might, they might fit into this. And then out of that 10 or 15, you know, some of them you're like, hello, please call me. You look good. And you don't hear from them again. They fill it out and you don't hear from them. Uh, And then it's, you know, you kind of lose a few on the way. I would say one or two out of those. So one Mm -hmm. to 2% that you can actually turn into uh, a tenant buyer. All right. Uh, but that's maybe I need to work on my sales. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> if, if, if you're, if you're offered to buy somebody a house who can't qualify for a mortgage and you have to sell very hard, yeah. there's something wrong with the equation. That's a, if, there, nothing sells itself, but that's the thing that comes the closest. That's for sure. Brandy. So, okay, cool. Cool. So next question is uh, nationwide. Like how, how, how are you doing this? I can get it around your hometown and around Barrie. I'm, I'm not sure what the market size is of that area, but a couple of hundred thousand people kind of thing, but yeah. expanding out, are you going after specific little markets or are you kind of blanketing the entire country? So there's another share. And I guess that I could say maybe it was one of our first mistakes. I was like, we can do this Canada wide and trying to market and advertise and not picking a few key areas was probably one of our mistakes. Mm. Uh, but that's what we did. And I started a TikTok account. So I had some other social media and I thought, I don't see anyone doing TikTok. I haven't seen lease options or rent to own on TikTok. So I'm going to make myself a TikTok star. And I know that it's a younger generation, but with every social media, it always starts with the younger generation. Then us old people say like, oh, what are our kids doing? Yeah. And then we get on it, right? Either people are trying to watch their kids or they're curious. And so I figured if I built it, then by the time I had built it, then there would be older people on TikTok that maybe would be my clientele. So that was one of the ways that I wanted to reach people Canada wide. And I'm a micro influencer now, which was really exciting for me because I was a micro influencer before I knew what a micro influencer meant. Well, maybe give people the definition. What is a micro influencer? Over 10,000 followers is considered a micro influencer. Congratulate. Well, <laughs> if your you. whole shtick is rent own and you've got 10,000 followers, followers interested or are you doing really cool dances which is it be honest with me brandy i started trying to do the dances but that is really not my area of expertise you know you really should stick into to the lane of what you're good at <laughs> and that was not an area that i was good at yeah also when you have a commercial account you lose all the cool songs like these artists aren't just allowing you to use their music in, uh, as a commercial account so 
um, quickly when I turned it into an actual business account, I wasn't allowed, allowed to use all the cool songs, which eliminated all the dances anyway, uh, which was probably a good thing for my <laughs> followers. <laughs> Hidden benefits. All right. So, mm. so I'm just curious, because again, Canada, huge country, trying to make a dent in, in marketing nationwide is challenging at best. So when did you decide to pivot on focusing on certain markets? And I don't, you don't, you don't have to give away which markets you're focusing on. You've got your secret sauce, but how did you determine which markets to focus on and what are you doing to generate leads in those distant markets from where you live? I hired a marketing mentor because I knew absolutely nothing about marketing. Yeah. And I started to follow his lead and he was the one who gave me a few suggestions, like pick your key markets. Where did the numbers really work? Where's our large populations that really work? Mm -hmm. I used big data. So simply analytics and was able to look at different cities and neighborhoods and find out where a lot of renters are with high income compared to the house prices. So I did some big data stuff. And I, I want to talk to you like I actually know what I'm talking about, but I really was handheld through that process. Well, now, now you know what you're talking about. So a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so that helped us narrow down some of the key markets. And then at the end of the day, I said, okay, where am I willing to fly to? What would be a fun place to fly to? Where do we have some friends that also align with these cities and provinces because at, if we have to go there for whatever reason, or if we decide to go there and not use our team, if I use my time, right, again, right. that control thing, if, if we end up going there to either build a team or to solve a problem, where are some of the maybe cool or key places that we would like to work in? All right. So how many did you narrow it down to? We are really heavily focusing on four cities okay. and surrounding areas right now. All right. Well, that's a lot more manageable than the entire Yes, that's, yes. That's for sure. And are you finding that social media advertising is working well for you? Are you doing like Facebook ads, Google ads? What, what are you finding works well for generating tenant buyer leads these days, Mandy? We, we are using, we are doing everything. I think that the paid ads definitely are you're going to maybe the percentage wise, you're going to go up a little bit more than if you're doing Kijiji or some free advertising. I think that's when you're really sifting through people. Okay. Um, so connecting with mortgage brokers, connecting with realtors. So some business to business leads, right? Google ads, Facebook ads, TikTok bad dancing, you know, not to, <laughs> <laughs> we, we've really done a little bit of everything. Uh, the press releases, I think, in a couple that of sounded cities. like that worked really well for you a little bit before you're ready for it, but it generated some traction. That's that's for sure. It wasn't easy. I've written a lot of press releases, so you write them and you hold your breath and hope that somebody thinks that you're newsworthy. Yeah, get get in there on a slow news day or whatever it is, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Smart, 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 smart. Okay, now. You're expanding, you're growing your business. Every business has its ups and its downs. And I don't know about you, but when I was doing this kind of rent-own deal, you know, the first couple I self-financed, I I saved up a few bucks and I had decent credit. And that got me through my first two deals, but then wham, ran out of cash, ran out of credit, had to start figuring out how to use OPM, other people's money. So when did that happen for you, Brandy? And 
what how how are you typically structuring your rent own deals with your investors? Are you bringing them on after the fact? Are they kind of more like joint venture partners that buy the properties? How does that kind of look if you don't mind sharing? So Dave, just like you, we started the same way. My husband and I said we we've taken the course. We we believe it'll work, but we we need to use our money before we use someone else's. We really wanted to see that it worked with our own money. And we did, we were able to get a few on our own and we wholesaled a couple. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, inevitably the bank said no to us. Yeah. And so we are structuring 50-50 joint venture deals with- Smart. And so that our partners are bringing the money and qualifying for the mortgage. And we find just in our network, a lot of people that are really interested in running their own rent-to-own business will partner with us because they want to see our process and what we're doing ah. and learning along the way. And we advertise that. We say, listen, we want we want this to be a win-win-win. We'll show you what we're doing. Our only ask is that when you turn around and say, like, I can do that better, that you share back with us as well, right? So we're happy to share with our joint venture partners that way. I think a lot of times they'll get in there. And they'll say, okay, I want to know every step of the way. Perfect. And partway through, they say, okay, I really just want to be the passive partner. Wow, that looks like a lot of work. Exactly. I'm thinking, that's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, again, maybe two out of 10 might decide they want to do what Brandy's doing. And and the other eight are going to say, I just, I see what Brandy's doing. There's no way in heck I want all of that on my plate. So, so they're, that's really smart. So they're, they're, they, it's kind of a pay-to-play model, right? So they join forces with you, get that first deal under their belt. If they want to go off and do that business on their own, great. Now they know how, fill your boots. But most people decide they'd just rather be passive investors. Yes. And I want to be in their seat more often than I want to be in the active investor seat. I, I want to be there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great seat. Take a that's look at nice. my bank account. Money's coming in. That's all you have to do. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, 50-50. You know what? And and I wanted to ask you about this because I was doing something similar in the day, but I was a little bit greedy and it bit me in the butt in the end. And that was, um, I, I was doing the joint ventures, but I wasn't doing a 50-50 split. I was doing a fixed return and I was making it attractive. I can't remember, 12.65% return on their investment kind of thing, which looked attractive. It was attractive. And if everything worked according to plan, it, would, it, it was good for me as well. However, sometimes things don't always work according to plan. So if, if a tenant buyer flaked out and, and left then and out of vacancy, well, guess what? I still had to be paying that, that monthly payment to my investor partners. So I think the 50-50 is really smart for two reasons. Number one, three reasons, actually. Number one, it's, it is a very equitable split, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you don't make money unless your investor partner makes money and, and vice versa. So it's you're, they're going to end up making more money, but at the same time, lowers your risk a little bit. Number two, it, it really is a simpler explanation for an investor. Hey, we're partners on this deal. It's 50-50. And here's typically how that's going to look. And number three, it really does help lower your exposure in case something goes wrong temporarily with that deal. So hats off to you for for being a lot smarter than I was back in the day and figuring that out right up front. So Randy, what are are your plans for the next uh, 12 months? Where do you guys see taking your business? 
We are looking to continue to grow our rent-to-own, again, focusing in a few markets instead of that Canada-wide spread, although we are advertising Canada-wide, just putting a bit more energy into a few key markets. Mm -hmm. And with our short-term rentals, I think we're going to keep them as is. We don't really want to grow that right now. We're seeing a little bit of a change. We're having to work a little bit harder. We're still positively cash flowing and doing well with them, but I think people are tightening their purse strings, so to speak, right now, and not maybe traveling as much with the change. Oh, interesting. Plus, I think a lot of people jumped on that bandwagon. They did. When, when they saw, <laughs> oh, look at it. Everybody's making money hand over fist in this pandemic. We thought everything was going to tank and the Airbnb business took right off. So yeah, a lot of people jumped in and, and kind of saturated the market a little bit as well. Okay, so you're expanding, keeping rolling. What does like the... Like, like if you guys were running at full capacity, how many new deals would you be bringing on a month in, in real, waving the realistic magic wand? Where, where would you guys like to be? Or, annually, I, or how do you measure it? If we have more than five deals a month, we will, we wholesale those out. So mm. we don't want to personally do that because you, you're then dealing with, 10 different families if they're all JV. So that's enough people. <laughs> that's <laughs> enough people. Yeah. Five, five so a five month, a... that's just over one a week is enough to keep us going. I now it's a it, it gets easier as you build, right? Yeah. We have realtors that we work with all the time. They have way less questions for us now. A lot of them yeah. just okay, I know exactly what to do. They pick it up and the way they go, and there's less work for us. But when we're again, that's why all the different markets was so challenging too, because you're constantly interviewing a new realtor and sending them out. And there was a lot of back and forth. So I think mm -hmm. focusing on those key markets and 10 people, that's, that's enough. Cause there's usually a lot of questions. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at that level, how many joint venture partners do you think you'd need in your entire joint venture pool? Because again, I don't know how long your deals are. are. They two years, three years, usually uh, two to three. Yes, two to three years. So when that deal's done, then your joint venture partner, you know, if they wanted to, they could probably finance another one. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, maybe so, maybe no. So uh, that's a lot of joint venture partners to get that kind of volume of, of deals. And we do have a quite a few joint venture partners that are doing more than one deal with us yeah. at a time which is lovely. And I think it was you who taught us that we're talking about the lifetime of a JV partner and, and the value of that. So we, we have some smaller players that are just getting in and maybe can qualify for one or two mortgages. And we're connected with some bigger players. Uh, one of our JV partners, she looks over all the information every single time, but she is quick to say, yeah, I'll do that. And it's like, Oh, okay. I can see now where, as you continue to grow, things get a little bit easier. I mean, there's always new problems, but where yeah. certain things get a little bit easier. Well, I, th I think you guys have got a machine going. So congratulations. That is absolutely awesome. So it hasn't always been sunshine and flowers for you, Brandy. We're talking, <laughs> we're, we're talking a little bit uh, before we pressed go that, uh, that, that you've had some painful learning experiences with joint venture partnerships. Are, are you comfortable sharing that with us? Because Again, we were also talking about, you know, everybody has their Instagram perfect life kind of on social mm -hmm. media, but in reality, it, it isn't always that way. So what have been some of the hiccups you've had along the way? 
So the first hiccup I'll tell you about is that my husband and I were terrified to ask. We were like, who is going to give us any money? So we, it took us a while to even get to the point where we said, okay, we need a JV partner and we're going to go out and seek one. And our first JV partners were friends of ours. And they'd been asking to do a deal with us for a couple of years, actually. And we were like, oh, "Oh, friends, do we do this? So we finally said, yes, okay, let's do this. And we treated it like a friendship. So number one mistake was that we treated it like a friendship. We did not follow all the processes that we knew and should have followed. So we didn't have them sign anything at first because they had went to the mortgage broker. They were qualified. Everything was good. And we were about to show them all the information, including the home inspection to sign off. We were 19 days before closing and they got cold feet Mm. and said, we don't want to do this. Mm. And we luckily, we still had a little bit of mortgage ability at the time. We had just sold a property and we, I think we almost, you know, what what you think about, you bring about, I think we almost did that to ourselves because we were so worried that we were going to lose a JV partner or something was going to, going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, here we were 19 days before closing and things were going wrong. And the plus side, we did have our own funds and were able to close that deal. And sadly, we are not friends with them anymore. We did have a discussion with them. We said, you know, separate from our friendship, um, you know, and we reached out quite a few times to say, Let, let's get together. Uh, And that was hard. That was hard on a couple levels. That was hard as a business professional who already was worried that I wasn't going to be able to attract money. Yeah. And so then it was like, oh, here, I'm I'm right. I I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And then just losing that friendship through the process was a little, but I learned so much. So I'm so grateful. I mean, I'm sad that we lost the friendship. Yeah. And that lesson from them completely changed our business okay well that that oh. is good because a lot of people would have just thrown in the towel right there and said no i'm, I'm not going to do that again so we pouted for a little bit Dave. of Don't. course you did <laughs> of course you did who wouldn't uh, so what what does it look like now and i understand that you've got a, a lot of joint venture partners that you're probably not that level of friends with but you probably do have some close friends and family members and whatever that have invested with you. So what do you do now that's different compared to that first experience? So now we follow our business processes, no matter who it is. So uh, my sister's doing a deal with us now. Perfect. Great example. Okay. And it's her first investment property. It it took her a while to come around, huh? She's 13 years younger than me. So Uh, she's actually starting probably before I started. And she's been watching us. Her well, and her Brandy, husband. If she's thirteen us. years younger than you are, is, is she still in elementary school? Oh, I love you, Dave. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, in elementary school, but was able to qualify for a mortgage. Yes, absolutely. So we we treated her as we would any other partner. We followed our processes and systems, and I had a probably another step conversation with them, and I said okay, I know that you trust us. You know that I have your best interest. If I had mortgageability, I would do this deal. It wouldn't be offered to you. I'm offering it to you first and foremost. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And I get it if you're not ready. 
And they said, no, 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 we're in. And I said, perfect. You're connected with this real estate investing community. You've taken, she had just taken the lease options course. And I said, you need to go talk to them and get independent advice or I'm not doing this deal with you. Because so, so I- get, get- independent legal advice or get somebody else from the club to look it over? Someone else from the club, I wanted them to look it over and be in their corner. Got it. And so she came back to me with all these questions. She had typed it out in an email and said, oh, we'll talk tomorrow. And I just answered them right away. And I said, we'll talk tomorrow, but here's the answers to all your questions because we've done this and we know. And I think she was a little bit shocked. She thought maybe she, I think that was it. It was like, okay, my sister's been doing this. Of course, I know she's been doing this. Of course, she answered all these questions super e- easily. Yes, we're in. They were already in before that, but I felt, and we had that conversation. They said, yes, we know the risks. We know that there are risks. And we know that you're doing everything from your perspective to make sure that we're aware of this. At the end of the day, though, I think, you know, it, it's my sister. I probably would just buy the whole deal off her because I love her so much and I wouldn't want to yeah. see it go sideways, especially with their first deal. Yeah. But uh, really just like turning off that, like, she's not my sister. She's my investment partner. How are we going to deal with this? Then turn it back on because the reality is she's my sister and have that yeah. extra conversation and just over communicate everything. Yeah, that's great. All right. So um sounds like, I mean, if you're working with this number of joint venture partners, you must have some pretty robust systems in place. So when somebody's coming on as a new partner, what kind of legal agreements do you guys have? Do you have a joint venture agreement? You register on title. How does that kind of look? Uh, Do you get them started off with an expression of interest or letter of intent or putting down a deposit, you know, what, what kind of things do you do to formalize things with newer partners? We did in the past have people put a deposit down. We're not doing that anymore. We we're at a point now where people are reaching out to us to ask us Perfect. if they want to do deals. Oh, what a change. If you had told me this when I was lying on the floor crying about a lost friendship, I wouldn't have believed it. Yeah. Uh, but things do change as you build your business and your credibility. And so people are asking us now. So we don't have them necessarily uh, give us a deposit. We have a joint venture agreement. We're not registering it on title because banks seem to like that. Do you know a bank that allows that? Because we have kind of steered away. Oh, no, you have to do it three bit. months after the deal's in okay. place. Yeah, you do it after the fact. Yeah. Okay. No, no, banks, hate, banks hate everything. Right. right. Why? <laughs> so, I... Yeah. I'm still waiting for my, you know, holiday gift from them because I think we give them so much business. Like how come they're not thanking me yet? But yeah, maybe, maybe next level. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. So you got a joint venture agreement. You don't have that registered on title. Well, well then that brings up a good question. How are you guys protected uh, in the deal? Because that that's kind of what covers you. I'm, I mean, I, obviously most of your joint venture partners would never think of trying to swipe the the deal out from underneath you and do their own thing. But that is a slight risk if you don't have something registered on title. How how do you guys cover yourselves? Well, maybe you've opened up a spot I need to think about, Dave. Ah, okay. I haven't, no, no. That's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I figured we had a legally binding contract and we were good, but maybe I need to ask some more questions. Yeah. Well, here's my understanding and take, take it with the fact that I'm not a lawyer. Right. But when I was doing those deals, we would wait until the mortgage was in place and we'd paid a couple of months worth of mortgage payments to the bank. And and then they basically go 
like a slumbering grizzly bear and hibernate. And as long <laughs> as everything's going fine, they don't care. Right. So then you register the, the joint venture on title. We call it a caveat here. And it basically clouds the title. It's, it's almost like a lien. It's not a lien, but it's almost like that. It means it has to be taken off before the property can be sold. So that's, that's how we, we cover ourselves and make sure that nothing wonky can happen in, in the meantime, because here's the risk, right? Potential risk. Let's say you're buying in a, in an area and your final agreement with your tenant buyer is okay. Over the next three years, the value of the property is going to be 10% higher than today, just for mm -hmm. even numbers, right? And your agreement with your joint venture partner is, hey, 50-50 split on this. Well, say something like the pandemic happens and all of a sudden that property hasn't gone up 10%, it's gone up 50% in value. Well, there's an awful lot of temptation in there to sell that property and take the cash and run uh, that, that, could come into play. So that's where the danger might be. I think I'm going to get off this call and call my lawyer and see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we are investing with people. I hope again, yeah. Does greed come into play that are within our, our community? We invest with people we know and know well, and yeah, hopefully they, you know, we believe they have the same values that we do. Well, it's it's good. But it's, there is just, some risk, yeah. Yeah, there's... well, it's, it's just like how you're really bending over backwards to make sure they're protected. Well, guess what? It it goes both ways. So you and your your husband and your business deserve to be protected as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But hey, anyhow, you're you are doing amazing, amazing things. Um, now that you're at the stage, we we've taken you down memory lane. You had that terrible but wonderful first experience with your first joint venture partners who flaked out on you. That sucks. I've, I've been in that too. And, and it is terrible, but you learned a lot from it. And now you're in the, the wonderful place where now you've got people coming to you saying, Hey, Brandy, when you got a deal, I'd, I'd like to hear about it kind of thing. How did that happen? Or, or it, what did you guys do to kind of encourage that or speed that up, if anything? Or has it all been organic? I think one of the things that one of my mentors said to me is a quiet investor is a broke investor. And so we got, got over ourselves hmm. and started speaking about our business. And so that helps. And just getting out and networking because your network is your net worth. I've heard that. Yes. <laughs> so getting and just establishing a name for ourselves. And so and how did you do that? So what did that mean? Because that's that's pretty broad. What did you specifically do to get out there to speak about things to especially if you're kind of introverted or, or maybe you're not? I don't know. I think I am. I'm sometimes the quiet girl in the room. So social media, I did one video and then my mentor said to me, Brandy, you did a great video about that rent to own and I haven't seen you since. And so I, I thought, okay, who's doing this well? And I started looking at how much content they were putting out. And then I said, I have to get over myself. I, I really, I have to put myself out there as much as I can in as many ways as I can. And that's another thing that we do with our joint venture partners is 
I'll say, okay, do you want me to tag you and talk about all the steps of the way? So if this is a new investor who's learning about lease options and some other strategies and they're trying to build their own portfolio, mm-hmm. then I'll say, do you want me to tag you in a conversation that we're having, talking about just finishing the home inspection, talking about every step along the way? And some people are saying, yes, absolutely. Okay, well, we'll tag back and forth. Then we're building each other's profiles and showing what and showcasing what we're doing. So I think that really helped. We also had a goal to reach financial freedom and become the second Freedom Fighter Award winners through Trust Your Talent in 2021. And we worked our butts off. So my husband, thank yeah. you. So that um that award, I think, helps kind of with our. And, and sorry, who's who is that through? Who's which organization is that through? That That's was? Trust Your Talent. That's the organization. Is That's the organization. Talent. Yes. Nice. Excellent. Okay, so then, I love that. I love the fact that you're educating and showing people on social media. We always have to be careful not to come across at all like we're soliciting mm-hmm. investors or anything like that. And I'm sure you're very very aware of that, but. Are you doing anything on the other side? So once people have kind of put up their hand, identified as potential joint venture partners, what does that look like for communicating with those people? Do you have anything formal in place for that? For the, you know, if you remember the training you took with me 87 years ago, (laughs) well, not that long ago, but it was the constant, consistent edutaining communication. Are Are you guys doing any of that kind of stuff? I'm going to have to go back to that lesson, Dave, because uh, yeah. I I think we're putting stuff out on social media. We're connecting with our potential investors. A lot of them are on our so different various social media platforms. We're attending different meetups in person, online, as much as we can to stay connected with people. Um, and I'm losing my train of thought. No, it's it's yeah, it's the communication with the people that that have already put up their hand or, or getting people from social media as kind of invisible prospects and bringing them over to very visible investor prospects. So I think just because most of our, we really exploded during the pandemic was we had a lot of zoom meetings, mm-hmm. coffee, tea, beer meetings <laughs> yeah. with people uh, to build that, those relationships. Uh, I really don't like, we have an investor email list. I really don't like that, you know, pray and spray mentality of sending it out. So usually if people are knocking on our door, it's like, okay, you're going to be the next one in line. And we kind of have an informal list of who's really asking us. And then when it comes to the deals, of course, then you find out who's curious and who's really committed. Right. Well, here's here's a quick tip for you, Brandy, if I may. Yes, please. With with those people that show some serious interest, or you're having the the Zoom beer or whatever that looks like these days, and they say, <laughs> "Yeah, Brandy, I'm I'm in for your next deal. I really want first dibs." Then what works like gangbusters is to get them to sign an expression of interest. It's not legally binding, but just the fact they sign off on that increases the likelihood of them coming through exponentially. And then here's the cool thing, Brandy. You're at the point now where you can have all of these investor ducks in a row. You can have all these people who've signed off in expressions of interest. And then guess what? They're the ones you go to first and you say, hey, first come, first serve. 
whoever gets back to me first on this and, and takes action gets it. And then it trains those investors to jump on it very, very quickly. We did this uh, beautifully with a client of ours. You, you might know her, um, Karina Guzman. A couple of years ago, she was getting things rolling with this. And she got it to the point where she had her her hot list of investor prospects. Mm. She put the deal out there. Within five minutes, somebody would snap it up. And then somebody would go, hey, is that deal still available? No, sorry, sold out. She'd let them know, sorry, sold out. And then they knew, they were trained. If I want in on a deal with Brandy, I better jump on it fast. So it 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 worked. I think it'll work like gangbusters for you I, guys. I love that. I, that lesson is coming back to me now, Dave. I'm I'm going to have to revisit my notes from some of the learnings. <laughs> well, you. that was pre yeah. that was pre pandemic, I think, when we did that. But anyhow, Brandy, this is wonderful. We could talk for a long time because you're a sharp cookie. You're doing amazing, amazing things. So again. Hats off to you. If people want to connect with you and find out more about Brandy Mullen and, and what you're up to, what can they do? Can they go on TikTok? They can find you on TikTok. Oh, oh they can find Sprout Properties on TikTok. Yes. Brandy yeah. Mullen does not have an account on TikTok. I might, but I don't use it. But Sprout Properties Rent to Own on TikTok. Brandy Mullen on Facebook, Instagram. Um, I just published a journal recently too, a guided journal called Believe. So if they're, you know, people can nice. check out um, believejournal.ca. Uh, I have a little journal that will tell them a little bit more about me and what I've been doing in my, you know, few years on this planet. Nice. Um, yeah. Oh, but that definitely social media would be probably the easiest way to, to find me. It sounds like you're dominating on that. So that is wonderful. Brandy, thank you so much. It's been a blast. Thank you, Dave. All right, everybody, take care. We'll talk to you on the next episode.